Hey, horror fans, Pete here from The Last of Cast, and I have a very special interview for you guys today. I am interviewing legendary director Tom Holland, who co-wrote the screenplay for Psycho 2. He co-wrote and directed the first Child's Play. He wrote and directed Fright Night. This guy has done so much. I don't need to introduce him. Tom, thank you so, so much for being on The Last of Cast. Pete, thank you for having me. Yes. We are here today because Tom has a book that has come out just recently, Fright Night Origins, and it was put out by Encyclopocalypse uh, Publications. And uh, Tom, I got to admit something right off the bat. I had not seen Fright Night until I read your book. Really? Yes, sir. I, I know I'm on a horror channel, but I had not seen Fright Night. I always heard about it. And then I actually read your book before I watched the movie. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So um, the the other uh, host that we have on this channel, Danny, he, he couldn't make it for last minute reasons, but he wanted me to tell you that uh, he teaches, he has a club after school um, where he shows horror movies to students, high school students. And his most recent movie showed them was Child's Play. Mm -hmm. To you, which was, um, how does it feel just to have this catalog of movies that you've made that people can go back to for generations and check out and show their kids, show their grandkids. Pete, I, I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what I feel about it. I'm, 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 I'm forever grateful and I'm totally shocked because when we were making it, when I was shooting these films, uh, it never occurred they were uh, films were disposable you know they were there for that year and maybe you'd have an enormous success and maybe it would last in memory for three or four or five years but films at that at that time in the 70s and 80s films didn't have the shelf life that they now have mm -hmm. uh, it's very so no it never occurred to me I pinch my that I that this would happen. I yeah. pinch myself all the time. I had uh, a, 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 a guy who's become a friend now called Rob Galuzzo show up to my door about 17, 18 years ago doing a documentary about Psycho 2. Okay. And that was the first glimmer that I had of of uh, of of what was happening in terms of a new set of classics coming along, I guess you'd say, or for a new generation. Yeah. And but it it didn't really sink in on me until about I don't know six, seven, eight years ago. I went to Texas Frightmare. Oh, okay. And the line was down and around the block, and I could not believe it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So what I think is happening is that because I, I, I came out and I went to, my line is I'll go to any convention if I can drive. You know, <laughs> okay. But if I have to get into a plane, forget it. Right. The, uh, the, uh, uh, I went to something called Son of Monster Palooza here in LA last weekend or the weekend before. Mm -hmm. And it was one person coming up after another telling me, that they had that their that their parents or their grandparents had shown them Fright Night. Yeah. And 
effective. So it's become, it's in the, that's gotten embedded in the, in a family culture. That's, yeah. that's different than child's play. I was, I was, I was a little horrified at how young some of the people were when they first saw it. I mm-hmm. had one girl tell me she'd seen it when she was five years old. Oh man. And <laughs> I can't, you know, I mean, I, I, hey, that's, you know, a little early for me, but I mean, you know, I figured 12, 13 was, was, was an okay age because with child's play, you're telling kids that, hey, your toys can come alive and they can do not nice things to you. So, right. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, oh, think, I think what's going on, Pete, and I think, I think that your podcast is an example, is I think that horror is ex- the fan base is exploding and it's becoming its own community. Absolutely. I mean, there's some there's something going on in the culture where that genre is is exploding. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's, I mean, you get the room when I came in and I started doing horror, it was disreputable. Right. <laughs> you know, so amazed. Yeah. I'm amazed. <laughs> well, um, Chris Sarandon is in both Child's Play and he's also in Fright Night. You know, he plays Jerry Dandridge. Um, I was going to say that, you know, obviously you guys must have had some kind of working relationship and, you know, you liked working with him to have him on your other film. Did you always kind of have him in mind to play Jerry Dandridge or was there another idea for that vampire? No, I, 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 I did not have any idea, but I know that I needed, I needed a real actor. I needed an actor for Fright Night in every part yeah. the, uh, and I, I needed a name and a respectable, a highly thought of name to take the onus of horror off of it, off of mm. Fright Night, okay? Sure. And this is in the back of my head, I'm back around, I'm back in 1984, 85. Yeah. And I, Chris, I thought, Chris was a brilliant actor. I mean, with Dog Day Afternoon, he got an Academy Award nomination. Thing. Yeah. So he he said that he had no interest in reading the script because it was genre, and somebody uh, told him how good the script was and what an acting piece, and he read it, and he told me after five or six pages he was hooked. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think Roddy coming in as Peter Vincent also calmed it. It, it, it was became more of, and it was it was an extraordinary uh, experience in terms of production and making it because I had I had a full two weeks of rehearsals, mm. which is which is unheard of because usually you have to pay the actors for the rehearsal time, and God right. forbid the <laughs> studio should have to spend any more money. And they won't do it. So yeah. normally you end up, uh, you know, uh, uh, depending on the on the goodwill of the actors. But in this case, in the Fright Night case, everybody had theater experience. Oh, okay. And they were excited to rehearse. And before I was through, I had that. I had Fright. I I took and I I taped out every set on the on the stage floor. Mm-hmm. 
and I had a big director come in with me, Colin Higgins, uh-huh. to watch it, and I ran it like a uh, like a play, sure. moving moving from beginning to end through the set, and sure. it played. It, it it just played. Yeah. And and but the actors before I started to shoot, the actors knew their blocking. They had dug out a lot of the moments. Mm-hmm. Goodness knows we certainly explored character and character arc. Mm-hmm. I mean, and everybody came to work and came to make the best film. And yeah. you had Roddy sort of leading it as the eminent Greek, Greek, however you pronounce that, Greece or whatever it is. Yeah. And then you had you had Chris coming along nipping at Roddy's heels in terms of performance. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it 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 was just a fabulous experience. Really yeah. Cool. I think in terms of, because you were saying it was like a play, I think that the scene that really got me into the movie, and it's very early on, is when Jerry attacks Charlie in his room. And I feel like that's a very intense scene, and I think that's when we first see the, the visual effects really come into play, the vampire visual effects. Do you feel like because of that scene and then what follows in the rest of the movie, that you sort of kind of rejuvenated vampire films at that point, sort of like leading well, to like the Lost Boys and like uh, Near Dark? Yes. I mean, at that moment in time, vampires were dead, dead, dead in more ways than one. Because <laughs> you, had, you, had the, you had the disaster of, of the play, uh, Dracula, which I think was, was a musical. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a musical. And that was a huge film. I think Robert Wise maybe directed it. And mm-hmm. it was... It was an enormous failure, and then you had uh, you had a, 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 a spoof, a farce called "Love at First Bite" oh, with yeah. George Hamilton. Right. And if you watch genre, usually spoof is the is is indicates the exhaustion of a genre. It's become so familiar that nobody can do anything with it except poke fun at it. Right. That's sort of where vampires were. When I came up with Fright Night, mm-hmm. and the, the the Columbia had a, a a slot with nothing in there for a very low budget movie that they thought they were throwing away, and I was a hot writer and the script I guess was pretty good, and so they 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 gave me a shot. Yeah, the other remember Psycho Two was an enormous commercial success. Right, it's, it's it's forgotten now, but it was the second biggest movie in the summer of 1982. Oh wow! After, yeah, after the first Star Wars sequel, you can believe mm. that. That's how big Psycho Two was. Well, it was Tony Perkins coming back to play Norman Bates, mm-hmm. and who didn't want to see that? Right. You know? And uh, and besides, it was a good movie and great performances. And uh, oh my goodness, the that that made me a very very hot writer. Mm-hmm. And. I, I I I wanted to direct, but I was also happy as a writer. But the film that I had written just before that was called Scream for Help. Okay. And it did not work as a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it just didn't work. And I thought to myself, well, I know every beat in Friday Night. I know every visual. And I don't want Scream for Help to happen to me again. Yeah. It was it was done. It was directed by a very very charming fellow called Michael Winner, 
Okay. And he'd done the uh, Charles Bronson, the vigilante. Okay. And he, yeah, he was terribly, terribly charming, but he didn't like dialogue very much. Oh. So what he did was he went through my script and he cut as much dialogue as he could. Oh, and okay. so when he did that, you didn't know what was going on with the people or what the emotional arcs of the actors were. And the action may have made sense, but what was going on with the characters and their relationships was, I, I don't understand this. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to do better than that. So I held on and I got offers to buy the script, but without me directing. Uh-huh. And I kept on turning them down. And then finally, Guy McElwain at Columbia gave me a shot at directing. Oh, awesome. and that was frightening. I, I mean, so you know, I don't, I don't know what to say, Pete. You know, you just keep working. Yeah. You know, sometimes it turns out, and sometimes it doesn't. But you just keep trying to get up at bat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you continue to work, and now you put out this Fright Night Origins book. And yeah. I was wondering because I saw in an interview that you had done, it was on YouTube. You mentioned how you had the Fright Night story in your head for at least a year before you wrote the screenplay. And I know that was when Roddy McDowell came on. That sort of, or not I'm sorry, when he came up with the idea of Peter Vincent, that's when things started to click. Yeah. And I, I was wondering, in that year when you just had Fright Night in your mind, is that where you came up with a lot of these details for the backstory for Jerry Dandridge and, you know, Charlie's life? Yes. I mean, what, what, I can't, Fright Night was a wonderful idea, and I had it, you know, <laughs> and I thought it was a deliciously, I thought it was just, a, it's what I would have wanted to happen to me right. when I was 14 or 15, right. well, maybe 16, 17 would be better, but yeah. I mean, it was, that was, that would have been my, would have been wonderful to have had that happen when I was a teenager, I had written a movie called Cloak and Dagger. Mm-hmm. You ever saw that? And mm-hmm. that's that was based on The Window, which was the juvenile version of Rear Window, written by Cornell Woolrich, okay. who was a great writer of the 30s and for, uh, the 40s and 50s, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I, you look up his bibliography, I mean, it's just amazing. Almost everything he wrote was turned into a movie. He was the Stephen King of the 40s. <laughs> He, and he dealt with psychological suspense, Cornell Wilbur. So he'd written this children's story, and they made it into a movie called The Window in 1948 or 9. Okay. And, and Universal wanted to remake it, and but it, what, what it, there was nothing there. It was literally a boy who cried wolf story. It was mm-hmm. ur, ur, urban, suburban, whatever that movie came out, it was the same thing. Oh, well, suburbia. In the house next door. Yeah. And, and it's a boy involved. But yeah. it, it wasn't enough for me. So I I wrote an original screenplay for Cloak and Dagger. But before I did, I said, I told Universal and the director, which frankly, that if you really wanted to do a boy seeing something happening in the house next door, right, that would freak him out and really start a series of events, have the kid be a, horror, a, 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 a mad horror fan, teenager, Right. And have a vampire next door chomping down on somebody. <laughs> and Universal threw me out of the office. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and everybody thought I was nuts. 
And so after I'd done Cloak and Dagger, I still couldn't get the idea out of my head. And mm -hmm. I kept saying to myself, well, if that happened to me, what would I do? Because nobody's going to believe you. And yeah. that's why I used to watch the Friday Night Frights on TV. And it was, it was a local channel. And it was like 11 o'clock on Friday night. You could find some pretty terrible horror movie, okay, uh -huh. on, okay. on TV. And the good stuff was really Hammer and AIP. Sure. And so I was writing about about that opening scene where, the, where he's watching the movie and the vampires is seducing the that's Hammer. Right, and, right. But I thought to myself when I watched the Friday Night Frights, there was always a host. And they were always, they were from Poverty Row. You right. know, they never had any money, but they were great fun. The Stagger Lee, Vampira, uh, I don't know. You've, you've got them now, sort of carrying on the tradition. But yeah. then they were really, they were really a big deal. This is the very beginning of horror fandom. Sure. This was, this was, this is EC Comics after they've been banned mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you had to share them in high school with with a, with a few other kids all boys who were in the heart and it was this very very small group and of considered to be the uncool group you know <laughs> right right but I, I grew up on 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 banned versions of EC comics and uh, and the the, the the horror films of the, of the 40s and 50s. And that was, I was writing about my youth as a, as a horror fan and how I became so thrilled with horror. And uh, that turned into, when I thought of Peter Vincent, I couldn't wait to get home and write. Right, right. I, with Peter Vincent, I had a story. I yeah. also had delicious comedy. You know, Friday Night's an unusual script. The hero's journey is given to Peter Vincent. Mm -hmm. He's the one who's, who's a coward and is filled with self-doubts and runs away until he can't live with himself and runs back. Right. But Charlie is the motor that keeps it going. Charlie really is a, a terrific human being, young man. Mm -hmm. But he is so determined to save his friends and his mother yeah. from Gary Dandridge that he keeps driving the story. Right, and, right. But the but the one who has the real emotional transition is Peter Vince. Yeah. Yeah, I I can see that, you know, I, I haven't seen that many um hammer horror films, but I could tell right away that that's sort of like where you were getting some inspiration. And then you mentioned those EC comics too when you were growing up. I yeah. was wondering, um I know that like Anne Rice's uh interview with the vampire had come out in the 70s by this point. And um, there's this one line that Jerry has in the Fright Night film. He says, of course, I could give you something I don't have, a choice. And it kind of reminds me of this one line that uh, is in the interview with the vampire. Was was there any kind of influence from that or other vampire stories, too? I, you know, I no, I, I, I did not remember that it, was, that it was similar to interview, which I'd read, I guess, in the 70s. I know that I asked Alan Davio originally to be the cinema cinematographer, and Alan, who'd started, who'd, who'd shot uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, 
short, I guess at USC, turned me down because he was a relative of Van Rice. Oh. He was afraid of making Ann, Ann mad at me. And I've got, oh. another, I've got another story. I was going, I had directed Fright Night and Richard Franklin was the first director on Lost Boys. Oh, okay. Okay. Sure. And what happened was Dick, great director, he passed about a year ago. Big, big director of Warner Brothers. Uh, he did all the uh, all the the buddy cop films. Dick, dick, dick. Anyway, he was going to direct it, but he saw Fright Night and he dropped out. And oh. then he hired, hired Richard or was talking to Richard, and they got into a disagreement over uh, creative things that I forget what it was. And then Joel Schumacher, I'd known since I was like seventeen or eighteen, ended up directing it. Oh, wow. And that probably is the beginning of the resuscitation of the vampire genre. But as far as I know, excluding Abbott and Costello and the monsters, universal monsters, I think that, that Fright Night almost created the, the humor, the, the humor in the vampire genre. Because sure. what I did was I wasn't I wasn't winking at the audience. I kept the humor within the reality of the situation of the mm -hmm. characters. So the characters were, were they the situations were humorous, a ch chuckle humorous. Let's say they yeah. weren't uh, they weren't having Costello meets Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and Dracula, and whoever else all together. Right. The uh, and I think that that sort of I think Fright Night really sort of opened up the door to. To, to comedy and horror, to laughs and, and comedy. I did mm -hmm. the same thing in Child's Play. Right. I mean, it's, it seems rather obvious now, but if you if you're if you're if you're doing suspense, and pretty much everything I've done is has, has elements or or has, is dominated by suspense. Right. Uh, it's good to give the audience a chance to laugh, to break suspense, especially after a scare. And then you go back and you start to screw it up again, you know, yeah. scare the hell out of them in a laugh. Right. The biggest scare in child's play is when Chucky comes alive in her arms, which is threatening to throw him in the, in the fireplace. Right. And I did, that was, that may have been the biggest scream. The other, the other one was the knife coming up in the car between Chris Sarandon's legs. Right. Every man in the audience rose out of his seat. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. You, you know, it's funny that you you brought that up too because I think you were just recently on uh, Shutter's 101 Scariest Horror Movie Moments, right? They interviewed you for that, right? Uh yes, they they did, and I don't remember. Help me out, Pete. Uh, so so okay. So I know that you were interviewed by David Weiner. At the moment the doll comes alive. Is yes, that yes, that's when. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. that was a huge scream. Yeah, right? I think the knife coming up between the in the seat between his Chris's legs was almost as big a scream. Right, 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 right. Because <laughs> like um, for that hundred and one scariest horror movie moments, I knew that Child's Play was going to be on there, you know, and they put it on there. 
And then, um, you know, David Weiner, we've had him on our show a couple of times before. He's the guy that is the director of In Search of Darkness. And I know that he's interviewed you for that documentary too. And um, what I was going to say was in the most recent In Search of Darkness, um, they talk about Siskel and Ebert a little bit, right? And what I noticed was that Siskel and Ebert would usually say negative things about horror movies in the 80s and 90s, whereas it looks like Ebert, at least, was very favorable of Fright Night and Child's Play. Do you think there's a reason why Ebert liked your work in particular? No, I never met him, but I'm very, very thankful that he did. <laughs> yeah. I, I think because I had an original voice at the time. There was nothing out like Fright Night. There was nothing that, 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 that enjoyed the humor of the situation and yet stayed within the reality and did not pierce the third wall. So the, the viewer, the audience could stay in the movie and in the situation and enjoy Charlie's discomfort as long as well as rooting for him at the same time. Yeah. I had, I had laughs in child's play, including some huge ones, but that movie's scary. Oh yeah. And the reason I did that was because I knew that there was a universal theme in there, which is that all of us as children, at least I did, we all thought at one time or another, looking around our room after the lights had been turned out and you'd see the shadows of the, the silhouettes of your toys, you thought to yourself, what would happen if my toys or one of my toys came alive? Right. Right. And that's that's what that's what attracted me to Child's Play. Yeah. Well, you know, um, with Child's Play, Danny and I have been reviewing that 101 Scariest Horror Movie Moments show, and we both thought that Child's Play should have been higher on the list than where they put it. You know, like because Chucky, he's just one of the iconic slashers, you know, of all time. And so, well, it's, that's amazing too. The uh, yeah. tip of the hat to uh, Dan Mancini. Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah. Because what's what's I Child's Play has nothing to do with any of Child's Play one has nothing to do with the Child's Play or the Chuckies or any of them. Totally different sensibility. But if it wasn't for for all those Chucky movies and the the, the TV series, I I don't think that Child's Play would be remembered as as fondly and as enormously as it is. Mm -hmm. And yes, you're right. Uh, Chucky has joined has joined along with Michael Myers and Freddy and uh, and Ghostface. Yeah, he's one of the he's one of the maybe what are there four or five of them? Yeah, iconic, iconic horror characters. Yes, and and Chucky certainly has that. However, I will tell you that if you look at Child's Play at the end in the climax of the movie, I burned him. I shot his head off. Right. I shot an arm off. <laughs> I shot half a leg off. And then I threw him up against the wall and I shot him in the heart. I shot <laughs> Chucky in the heart. I showed you the blood splattering on the wall behind it. And mm -hmm. you saw the doll die. Mm -hmm. And the preview cards came back. Hell of a setup for a sequel. I mean, <laughs> nobody believed 
Yeah. Well, I was trying to make sure there wasn't a sequel. Yeah. And indeed, there's been nothing else but. So. Right, right. He's still going. He has a TV show right now. Yeah. yeah funny. <laughs> uh, so I know that you worked with Brad Fidel when you did the score for uh, Fright Night. And yeah. I think that the music in Fright Night is, is great. Um, and then, you know, he went on to do Near Dark, and he also did the music for uh, Terminator and Terminator 2. Just a great composer. He did mind. Terminator before, before, before Fright Night. Right, right. That, that was the dawn of electronic music. That started with, uh, uh, with the remake by the Exorcist director of the movie about transporting nitroglycerin across the across the, the road. I uh, I forget what it was called. Now that was the second uh, big electronic music, and then I think Terminator followed. That was the first, and Terminator followed that. And I was blown out by Terminator, and I got together with Brad, and I just I just loved what he did. And then I had a brilliant music supervisor named David Shacklett, who was still with us. And David put together all those songs, the, all the, the sort of the, 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 the needle drops or whatever you want to call There weren't needle drops in the movie, but the, 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 they were written for the scenes. He had the script and he'd come on the set and he'd see some of the shooting. And he got people to write songs and to sing them that would complement the movie. Yeah. And I think that that along with a, with a brilliant underscore by, by, uh, by the composer, I think it makes it, it's an extraordinarily popular soundtrack. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In particular, I really love the music in that club sequence. You know, I, I think that's really great. Just, and just like the, the persona of Jerry Dandridge is it's so imposing. And then he's also seductive too. I think he's this great character. And when I read Fright Night Origins, it was kind of interesting because there's so much detail about him in that book. And there's so much detail about Charlie. Um, what I was going to ask you was you go into his actual origin in the Fright Night Origins book. Um, did you have to do any research into, I don't want, I don't want to spoil the book for people who haven't read it. But there is that sort of that kind of Dracula time period, that that yes. time period. Did I you did do any research, research into that? Oh, I go did ahead. research along with my co-writer, uh, Jack Ulrich, yeah. and all of that is true. And what what you have in Friday Night Origins is I could put in missing scenes, and I could put in the backstory of the various characters so you would understand them better. Yeah. You would understand why why Charlie is so driven to do the right thing and what what family circumstances led to that and it also sets up what i what what will be the character arc in the coming series i'm um, the, the 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 response from the fans has been so positive that that jack and i are going to continue to write and i'm hoping to write a series of books and i bet it takes me seven eight books to to arc it the way i want to do it i want i i, I don't know if i should say this now the uh, uh, well, I'm already working on on aftermath, which is the sequel to Friday Night Origins, and I hope to have it out in January. Whoa! And then we're going to find out what happens to everybody in the movie because they're all going to come back. Nice. And I, we're going to find out about their characters and their relationships, 
and why they are the way they are and how they change during this experience. And I'm looking forward to it. I mean, wow. we, an extraordinary, to me, extraordinary thing happened has happened. We only published four and a half, five weeks ago. Yeah. And the book has gotten an extraordinarily positive reaction from 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 fans and from other people who've read it. And yeah. it it's selling. It's still selling. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's wonderful, and it puts an obligation on me to 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 continue the story. Plus, I'm as curious as you are to find out what happens. Heck yeah. Well, that's what that's the reason you're writer. You tell a story. You want to find out what happens. Right. <laughs> you, know, you don't know any better than the reader. <laughs> you know. Right. 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 <laughs> I um, like I said, you know, I read the book before I watched the movie, and. You know, it's so interesting because like it, it opens up this other chapter in it and, and introduces new characters too that aren't even in the, the story. And it just sounds like you got this big mythology going on. And yes. is the mythology I want, I want to create a universal world. Yeah. I want to create the Fright Night world. Yeah. And I, I brought in new characters because look, Amy's in love with Jerry. Amy, Amy is never gonna break that bond with Jerry because when Jerry bit her, not only did he drink her blood, she drank his. Right. And so Charlie's never going to be able to fight through that. So I had to, I, so I, I, I sort of set up a love interest for the following books for Charlie. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's it like working with your, your co-writer too on this novel? Jack and I have been working together for 12 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a, long, a whole long story. The, sure. uh, but anyway, we're very, very comfortable with each other. And he's, he's, a, he's, he's a very, very good writer. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't know how much I should say, but I mean, uh, there's every, when I first came to this town, every, every actor, every, every waiter and waitress was an aspiring actor. Then sometime in the 80s, every waiter and waitress started carrying a script around under their arm. They <laughs> serve you up your coffee and, hey, by the way, read this. Right. And that was the 80s and 90s. Right. And now I look around and everybody's a hyphenate. You know, you can't find anybody who's just an actor. Oh. <laughs> they're, they're actors, they're writers, they're producers, they're directors, you know. Right. So, uh, so I said to Jack, let's do something that people aren't doing. Let's write novels. Sure. And because because Fright Night is was a spec script on my part, not a work for hire. Right. I held when I when I made the movie deal on it, I withheld all literary, dramatic, and play uh, 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 dramatic rights, which are plays and musicals. Oh, okay. I can't remember what else I withheld. But anyway, so I own all the literary rights. Oh, nice. So I don't have to, you know, uh, I don't, I can do this. So I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough that, that I've been able to, to, to go in and write a, write a novel and hopefully a series of novels that deals with a movie that's very, very famous. It's mm -hmm. not as famous as Chucky. I have this terrible feeling that Charles Play will probably be the first thing on my tombstone. <laughs> Right beneath it will be frightening. <laughs> and hopefully after that, Cloak and Dagger and I 
Not Cloak and Dagger, Psycho 2. But I like okay. Cloak and Dagger too. Right, and I right. like the Stephen King movies too. So let me oh, Yeah, I you know, I was a big fan of the Langoliers when I was a kid. Thank you. Yes, yes. Thank you. Because that number one, I think it's a brilliant piece of work by Stephen King. Mm -hmm. And it really is. That that's a sort of a long novella. I forget what the word count is. And it was a four-hour miniseries. Right. And the cast I thought was brilliant, and it was an ensemble cast. And they were all terrific. And then what happened? This is just at the moment when CGI, this is like 93, I think, right. when CGI is starting to come in. And so you have this very primitive, rudimentary CGI at the very end, but the climax, and it's got awful. And I think for years it ruined it ruined the the, the television, the, the, the miniseries, the movie. Yeah. But as a piece of drama. It still works. Stephen gave me permission just recently to publish the teleplay of Langoliers and the screenplay of Thinner. Oh. So I'm putting, I'm putting both of those out for for for, for the for the fans of the, that want to read it. Probably people who are interested in adaptations. Yeah. You know, novel adaptations. Yeah. The, uh, but I mean, I. Thank you very much for saying that about Langoliers. I really appreciate that. Because oh, yeah. that was a true bitch to make. Oh, really? We did that at Camden, the Camden International Airport during the height of the summer season, mm -hmm. but an airport that's supposed to be totally abandoned. Right. <laughs> and so shooting these scenes with the actors where we're all trying to pretend that nobody's there and thousands of people are flooding off the the, the planes to go have their summer vacation at, at the main coast. Yeah. Very difficult. I, I think uh, Bronson Pinchot turned in a very Bronson, good performance. Bronson is an underrated actor. And yeah. I don't know what's happened to him. I saw him on a reality show. Um, and he, he was always a mad collector. He's very, he's, he's borderline brilliant. He, 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 he's a, he knew art. I mean, his love was paintings and sculpture. And furniture, right? I mean, that's a that those are very odd passions for most actors that I've met, right? But you know that, and he was he's just a just a he's a very brave character actor. Mm -hmm. He starts to go, and you sort of grab hold of his feet and hang on for dear life. <laughs> I think Bronson's wonderful. Yeah, no, I just um, I always remember that miniseries because I mean, at that time there were so many. Stephen King miniseries on ABC, you know, The Stand and It. And um, I like the Langoliers a lot. I mean, the, just the heroic end of uh, the main character, you know, and he's flying the plane. I mean, spoiler for this movie from the 90s. But that always just kind of stood out to me. And then when Bronson has that turn towards the end and he becomes violent, oh, that was scary. Um, just the concept of itself, like being outside of time, I thought that was really intriguing. And so I, I think he did a fantastic job. That's Stephen. I mean, I mean, you know, Stephen King is look horror. Horror is becoming its own community now. Yeah. But the one who opened it up for the middle class in America, I think, was Stephen. Before Stephen, horror was considered something that you, that you, that you did in the back bedroom where you locked the closet, <laughs> locked the bathroom behind you. You know. Yeah. 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 But. Stephen's use of brand names, one of the things he did, he made it very, very accessible mm -hmm. to, to the wider reading public. 
Yeah. That all horror aficionados owe Stephen King a big thanks. Yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah. Well, I uh, I personally want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. I'm super excited about reading more Fright Night books written by you and and Jack. Um, I was going to say that in Psychopocalypse, I know that they also do some really great audiobooks. Is there any talk of adapting Fright Night Origins into an audiobook? At this moment, right now, starting today is Saturday. Yes. I can tell you what the date is here on my, on my machines. October 29th. Aha! Yes. Aha, Pumpkin Day is on the way. We're almost the, there. On Tuesday, Chris Sarandon is beginning to record a reading of Fright Night Origins. Perfect. That is perfect. And I, and I made a terrible mistake. I put Latin, I put Latin spells in towards, oh. <laughs> towards the end of Fright Night Origins. And I got a panicked email this morning from Chris saying, I never took Latin in high school. How do I pronounce this? Right. Oh, my God. I looked it up online, but I don't have a clue how to pronounce it either. So I don't know what I'm going to do about that one. Anyway, Chris is going to read Fright Night Origins, and I'm hoping we have it ready to get it out for Christmas. Oh, fantastic. I, I already read the book, but I will definitely get the audio book just so I can hear him. And I've, I'm usually – go ahead. Well, I've also got – before Christmas, I'm coming out with something called Child's Play, a visual memoir. Oh, which okay. I have, I have hundreds, if not thousands, of production stills taken on location in Chicago and also back here where I was working with, with the doll. And if you really want to get a sense of how difficult Child's Play was to make work, it was it, at the time there was no other doll movie that even approached the complexity of what I'd written in that script. And you can really see it in, in a visual memoir. It's 150 uh, picture photos of, of, of the production of Child's Play, over 100 of which have never been seen before recently. So wow. I'm also coming out with that. That is fantastic. Wow. Okay. So you got this Child's Play visual dictionary you have the audio book of fright night origins and you have fright night origins all essentially fright night origins already out these things are coming out soon uh great gifts for horror fans for christmas time fingers crossed <laughs> nice um tom i just want to say thank you so much like i think you're the biggest guest that we've had on this show so far and i really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk with me um if you ever want to come back on the show, we'd be more than happy to have you on again. I'll tell you what, put me down and, and, and do it after after the new year. And you, yeah. you call me again and we'll see what progress we both have made. And I want, I want to thank all your fans out here who are listening to Pete. You're in the show. Uh, you know, I mean, it's people like Pete and his partner that are helping to grow the genre and knit the community together. I mean, what's what's going on now? I know I'm probably over. But what's going on is that movies like you, know, you look at a Marvel movie, it's a hundred million dollars to make the damn thing, and then it's another hundred million to to, to, to to market it. Right. So the and and you're writing within extremely tight confines. Okay. Right. The the bigger the budget, the more homogenized it is. The less the, the 
less, in a lot of ways, the less interesting it is because of the financial concerns. Har doesn't have that. No. So horror, because it's comparatively so cheap to make, is the one genre that really most immediately tells you what's going on with the culture. You'll see yeah. the cultural concerns, the cultural worries, and also what's happy there. You also see what's good about about things there too. But right now, horror that was always the redheaded stepchild is now the most vibrant genre genre in movies and streaming and whatever else you've got and whatever wherever else is going to go. We talk we we talk after 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 the new year. I'm sure it'll be totally. We'll have already sensed the change in it. Yeah. I mean, there's huge change going on. The one constant is horror, and people like to be scared. They like to laugh and be scared, and they also like to see themselves and what's happening to the world as interpreted through the genre. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, um, you know, this has been a great year for horror. There's been some really incredible releases. We've definitely covered some of them on our channel. But I got to say that, like, we wouldn't be at this point without some of the movies that you've contributed to the genre. So thank you so much, sir. And, uh, yeah. And we will gladly have you back on in the new year. <laughs> God bless everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.